Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Thank you, Joel. Good morning, Refuge. Good to uh, be in front of all of you this morning. Something like that. Um, As Joel said, we are finishing up our Galatians series this morning. We've been at it for a little while, not not terribly long time. I love Galatians. It's one of my favorite books, so uh, we could preach it over and over again as far as I'm concerned, and it'd it'd be one of those things that I'd learn new things each and every time because of uh, how complex it is and yet how simple it is in its gospel message. Um, in keeping with uh, what, what Trey started last week, uh, using sort of a, a movie uh, as sort of the, the overarching illustration of what's going on, I, I think there's a, there's a really great movie out there. Um, it's for some people, not for every person. Watch movies carefully when someone encourages you or tells you it's a good movie because opinions are different and so on. But uh, this is one of my favorite movies. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's actually one of Tim, Ke- Tim Keller's favorite movies. Uh, it's called uh, The Fisher King. It came out in 1991, and it stars Jeff Bridges, who plays a guy named Jack Lucas. Uh, Jack is this uh, cynical, egotistical, self-centered, uh, just uh, awful DJ on the radio. I don't want to compare him to any DJs on the radio now uh, or any personalities on the radio now just because that's not a good thing to do. But you get the idea. If you listen to radio, and uh, particularly in the morning, and you hear somebody along your drive and they just frustrate the snot out of you, th- that's this guy. Um, he's, he's just he's mean-spirited. He's, he's rude to people. He, he, he says what he, what's on the, you know, what, whatever he wants to say and no repercussions. And, and that's brought him a lot of fame and attention. But a careless comment to a, to a man who's a repeated caller, he's a guy that, that Jack knows by name, and, and the guy calls into his radio show repeatedly, a careless comment to this caller uh, turns into complete chaos when the caller then goes off and kills eight people in a New York City restaurant, shoots eight people, kills them all. Jack, maybe rightly so on some level, sinks into this level of guilt he feels guilty for what's happened. He has this self-loathing going on. Maybe self-loathing that we've all experienced in our own lives when we do things that we know we shouldn't do. And so he seeks solace in a bottle of whiskey. And in about uh, three years, goes from being on top of his game to entirely sinking into the gutter, hitting rock bottom. One night he's standing on the, the, the edge of the Hudson River, and he's considering jumping in, and he's got this little uh, toy soldier doll, like the, like the dolls out of uh, the, the, the ballet, you know, the, the, maybe even Pinocchio doll. I can't quite remember from the movie. I, can't, I haven't seen it in a little while. But um, he's standing there, and he's, he's talking to this doll, this broken-down, ratty doll. And he says, you ever get the feeling you're being punished for your sins? And as Jack prepares to jump into the cold, icy water, two men jump out of nowhere, start screaming at him, and start beating him. 
with an intent to kill him. They pour gasoline on top of him. They're going to light him on fire. And, and, and at that moment, Jack is like, I, I don't really think I want to die after all. You know, when you're faced with it, it's, it's a lot bigger deal. And he realizes that he's not ready. But in his inebriated state, he's no match for his attackers. And fortunately, though, fortunately, though, someone comes along to rescue Jack. Before he's seriously hurt, a ragtag gang of of homeless men, led by a man named Perry, who is played by Robin Williams, comes to his rescue. And immediately after taking care of the the bad guys, so to speak, Perry whisks Jack off to his, his sort of secret hideaway, the place where he lives. And though Jack doesn't realize it at the time, his life is about to change. He is about to become a new man. Someone entirely different than who he was before. In a way, in a very real way, it's a bit like the change that Paul is talking about in today's passage. It's a lot like the change that takes place in us because of the gospel. Here at the end of Galatians, Paul says to God's people, he says, You are a new creation. You're a new creation. You're brand new. You're different than who you were before. Because all who surrender their lives to Christ are changed from the inside out, changed entirely by him. We are a new creation, a new people with a new understanding of who God is, a new understanding of what he calls us to do, a new understanding of how we are to live our lives for his glory. Though we are still very, very far from perfect, we are no longer the people we once were. We're new creations. We're new Our natures are new. Our outlooks are new. Everything about us is suddenly new. It's being changed back into the image of Christ, back to what man was supposed to be before the fall, back to what God intends us to be. Because our sin has been forgiven and its power has been lifted over us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are new creations. We're new creations because the cross, ultimately, the cross erases our past. It erases it. It it takes away the, the ultimate consequences, the spiritual consequences of our past. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. He says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You get what he's saying there? He's kind of saying, I'll never be proud of anything I do. I'll never be proud of my accomplishments or or money or anything that I have. I'll I'll be entirely proud of Christ. I'll I'll find my meaning and and all my worth because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. I'm, I'm dead to the world. I don't need their praise. I don't need their things. I only need Christ. I only need Christ. The cross has put to death all the things that takes our focus off off of God. It's put those things aside. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that, oh, I, I never have thoughts that I shouldn't. I never say things that I shouldn't. But it means that we're being changed. We're being made new. It weakens sin's power over us. It weakens sin's power to, to, to make us do the things that we, we know we shouldn't do. Paul talks a little bit about it in Romans. He says, I don't know why I keep doing those things. And yet at the same time, I know that it has no power over me. 
And yet sin does feel like at times that it has power over us, right? Sin can be very, very appealing. It, 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 it's very subtle in the way that it, that, it, that it makes its way into our hearts. It starts with small things. We do small things. We think, oh, this isn't a big deal. And then it, then it turns into another thing and another thing and another thing. And, and we justify it all along the way. Because we think, oh, the consequences aren't that bad. They're not going to happen to me. So sin often looks more attractive than it really is when we view it from that perspective, when we view it from a, from a, a non-Christ perspective, you might say. It's easy to disregard the consequences then. But God, in his infinite wisdom and love, he, he understood the problem that we have. He understood the fact that we, we can't resist it on our own. We can't, we can't fight it. We have no power that way. And so Christ died on the cross. Not only did he accept all the consequences of our sin when he did so, but he freed us from its power. He, he made it so that it does not wield power over us in the same way. And thus, if a part of us is inclined to gossip or lust or whatever it might be, we have to, we have to look at it as, from the standpoint of that, that's what Christ died on the cross to release us from. He died so that it would no longer have control over us. Like I said, it doesn't mean we'll never be tempted. It doesn't mean that we, we won't fail. It just means that as we're being sanctified, as we're being changed, as we're being made more and more into Christ's image, it no longer holds a strong power over us that it once did. And it demonstrates, as it does so, it demonstrates in our lives, it proves that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. As we see the resistance to sin grow in our own hearts, it proves that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. One of my all-time favorite quotes, ever all-time favorite quotes, comes, and I'm going to mess it up because I, I usually do. Um, but one of my all-time favorite quotes comes from the uh, 19th century Scottish preacher named Robert Murray McShane. If you don't know anything about him, read a little bit about him. Very interesting man. But he had this great quote, and, and it basically said, The greatest evidence of God's grace in your life is the desire for more. Think about that. The greatest evidence of God's grace in your life is, is the desire for more. Those who, who have no, none of God's grace in their life, they don't desire any of it. It's not like they're sitting around going, oh, I wish God would save me, and God doesn't do it. He's not that way. So if we have a desire for God's grace in our heart, then God has placed it there, and it's evidence that he's at work in our lives. We might say it this way in this context of, of, the, of Galatians. The greatest proof of God's work in us is our growing in that grace. Not just our desire for it, but our growing in that grace and our desire to do His will. Because we are a new creation. We're different than we were before. And thus God calls us to make a difference in the lives of those around us. In the movie... Flashback to the movie now, Fisher King. It's kind of the transformation that we see happen in Jack, right? It, it's kind of what we see happen in his heart and in his life. After Perry rescues Jack from the attackers, uh, J uh, Perry takes him back to his, his, this boiler room that he lives in. It's, it's actually in an apartment that he used to have, in a, or an apartment complex that he used to have an apartment in. We'll find out a little more about that later. Uh, but he takes, he takes Jack back to this boiler room, and there he tells Jack that he is on a quest. He's on a quest to find and retrieve the Holy Grail. And he's found it already. He knows where it is. It, it resides in the apartment 
of a very wealthy man on Fifth Avenue. The Holy Grail is there. Perry knows it. He's seen it in a magazine, and he is set to get it. God has called him to do this. God has called him to retrieve it. Jack, obviously, dismisses Perry as crazy because in some levels, Perry probably could use a counselor. And uh, he, he, he can't shake the feeling at the same time that, that, that maybe he's supposed to help Perry, right? I mean, Perry bailed him out of this terrible situation. Maybe there is something that he is supposed to do for Perry. It demonstrates, right? It shows that Jack is changing. Because before that, before being rescued by Perry, Jack never would have done something for a homeless man. When homeless people talked to him, he, he, he looked at them like they were, they were filth, like they were nothing. If they had touched him, he probably would have reacted terribly violently. But now, here's Jack sitting with a homeless man, and he's thinking, maybe I'm supposed to do something for him. Maybe I'm supposed to do something. Jack's behavior is different. He's a little less cynical and a little more hopeful. He's a little less arrogant and a little more humble. He's a little less self-centered and and a little more generous. It doesn't happen overnight. It's it's not like he all of a sudden turns into this perfect Christ-like creature, but 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 the change is there, and we can see it happening. He's less angry, more relaxed. He's not perfect but he's come a long way. It's as if his old self is dying off and a new self is being made. That's, that's what's happening in us. I, I went to a high school reunion a number of years ago, a long time ago, actually. Uh, it was my 21st year high school reunion because the people that I went to high school with couldn't plan a 20th year. Um, and so the, one of the guys that I hadn't seen in a long time was like, man, you haven't changed. And I was like, I hope I have. I hope I'm different. Because I I think Christ is changing me. I think I'm being made into a new creation. I I believe it. I I feel different. Not just 25 pounds heavier, but I feel different. I look different. I think, I know Christ is making a difference. Because the cross has crucified my past. It kills our old motives and our old habits slowly but surely. Those habits and things that used to hold us hostage. And though we will not be perfect until we see Christ face to face, the cross is continually at work in us, changing who we are and what we live for. For that reason, Paul then warns, uh, gives a warning in verses 7 through 10. He basically talking to to the Galatians, he's saying, you know, the, the, the people that pretend, the people that are fakers, the people that, that have a pretense of faith but aren't really faithful, those people will be held accountable for what they're doing. You cannot feign righteousness. They will not be rewarded. You can't claim to love God and refuse to worship as he prescribes. You, cl- you can't claim to serve him and not love others as you love yourselves. You can't profess to live by the Holy Spirit and not obey his will. You can't. You can't continually live with that dichotomy in your life or it, it, it demonstrates that, that, that Christ is not there. Paul equates what they're doing to mocking God. He says, those that do that will not receive the blessings that God has, and instead they will reap what they sow. 
Jack kind of realizes this, not exactly, this isn't a Christian movie, so don't get that idea, but, but, but the story is still there. Jack realizes this when he learns more about Perry's past. He learns that, that Perry hadn't always been delusional and, and, and crazy as he is. He wasn't always homeless. He was once a happily married professor of literature and had a beautiful young wife. But that all changed one night three years before, sitting in a restaurant with his wife, when a man came in with a gun and shot eight people, one of whom was his wife. From Jack's perspective, he believed this was his fault. Had he not been so callous to that caller, had he not said the things that he said, maybe, maybe he could have stopped this terrible thing from happening. Perry wouldn't have lost his wife. Jack wouldn't have lost his life on the high, you know, on the, 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 being at the, the peak of his success. Jack goes back to his apartment. He listens to a recording of his show, and it reflects on the person that he had been. He says to his girlfriend, I feel really cursed out of all the people in this city. Why did I have to meet the man whose wife I killed? I wish there was some other way I could just pay the fine and go home. We've all felt that way, right? Why am I suffering these consequences? I wish I could just pay the fine and go home. Jack quickly learns that that, (laughs) things are not that easy when we, uh, with the mistakes that we make in life, with the sins that we commit. He tries to give Perry money. Perry takes the money and then immediately gives it to another homeless man next to him. And Jack's like, no, 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 that was for you. Perry's like, what, what am I going to do with it? I don't need it. I don't have a home. I don't, I, don't, I don't need the money. It's not so easy to undo the mistakes of our past. We might be able to fool ourselves into thinking that our sins are really relatively innocuous. Well, who's that lie going to hurt? What's that gossip going to hurt? doesn't matter that much. Nobody listens to me anyway, right? In reality, the damage that our sin causes to ourselves and to those around us is usually always more serious than we can ever imagine. Yet despite that grim reality, there is hope for the believer because just as the cross erases our past, the cross also shapes our future. It changes what things look like for us in the future. Gradually, as it changes who we are, as it shapes our heart, sanctifying us, gradually as that happens, we become less selfish. We, we, we begin to live for others. We see that, like I said, in, in Jack, right? We begin, we, we're less self-centered and more other-centered. Verses 12 through 16, Paul says that the, the people that are, that are other-centered or that are uh, self-centered, uh, those who want, he calls them those who want to sh- uh, make a good showing in the flesh. He says they only do it to avoid being persecuted for Christ, right? And in contrast, the second group, those, those that live by the Spirit and live out of the Spirit in their hearts, they boast in nothing but Christ alone. In the past, we were of the first group. We were motivated by our own comfort, by our own desires, But as we become new creations, as we become new people in Christ Jesus, things begin to change. We learn to live for others. 
We place their needs above our own. And that's exactly how we see Jack reacting in all of this. We see him working this out each and every day in his life as he, as he begins to help Perry. He's standing, there's a scene where he's standing in a Grand Central Station with Perry, right? And, and they're waiting to catch a glimpse of Lydia. Lydia is the woman that Jack is in, or that, that uh, Perry is in love with. He, he's never spoken with her, but he knows everything about her, at least everything about her that can be known in public because he follows her around, which is kind of spooky when I think about it now. But he follows her around, and, and, and he knows what books she buys, and he knows everything. He could tell what she's going to do every single day. He's madly in love with her. And they're standing there watching her, and Perry is smitten with her at a distance, and he's, and he's talking about what she's going to do next. And Jack is standing there, and there's a... There's a um, what appears to be a, a homeless veteran in a wheelchair sitting next to him uh, asking for money. He's got, he's got a cup out, right? And as he's watching that man, a, a, another man walks by in a business suit and he tosses a coin at the guy but never looks at him. Just tosses a coin at him and it falls to the ground. And, and Jack calls him a name and then he picks up the coin and hands it to the, to the veteran and he says, man, that was, you know, that was terrible. That guy never even looked at you. And this is what the veteran says. I think, I think this is one of the most telling lines of the movie. This is what the veteran says. He says, um, he's paying so he doesn't have to look at me. We pay so we don't have to look. We pay so we don't have to get involved. He's paying so he can pretend that he cares. So that he can seem like he's a really good guy. He's not just heartless. He pays so it doesn't cost him anything. Jack realizes that he's been acting in the same way. Tried to give Perry money so he didn't have to get involved. But it was indifference that led him to that. It was just like, well, I should do something for him. So I'll throw some bucks at him. It's not mercy, that's not compassion, that's indifference. He wanted to help, but only as long as it didn't cost him anything to do so. Only as long as there was no pain on his part and no suffering on his part. Perry realized, or Jack realizes this, and he's like, something's got to change. I can't keep doing this and expecting different results. I'm at the bottom of my life. I can't live like this forever. And so he the new Jack does something that the old Jack never would have done. He actually cares. He cares enough to actually get involved. He cares enough, he's like, maybe, maybe I can help him meet Lydia so he doesn't have to chase her around and be a stalker. In a way, that's how the cross changes our future. Changes us from those who are always seeking out our own self-interest to those that are seeking out the interests of others, those that are, that are looking for ways to step into other people's struggles and problems and say, I, I, I want to help, I want to do something. Because Christ has done things for me, great things for me. It changes us, changes us into those who count others more significantly than we count ourselves. The cross changes us by reminding us of all that Christ has done. Though we were unworthy, Christ loved us. Though we were rebellious, Christ forgave us. Though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we're no longer bound by our sin because the, the cross erases our past. It, it, it erases the, the ultimate spiritual consequences of what we've done. 
We're no longer destined for destruction because the cross secures our our future. It secures our, our reward that's coming. We no longer need the world's approval because the cross secures the reward that Christ promises us. Verses 9 and 10, Paul challenges God's people to persevere in doing good. Not to earn God's favor, because we know we can't earn God's favor. So we don't do it to earn God's favor. We do it because the cross has already secured the reward. We've already got God's favor. Now we do it out of kindness. We do it out of love, out of joy, out of thankfulness for all that he's done. Because the cross has secured that reward. As Paul says in Romans, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nor past nor future, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ Jesus who died on the cross to make us a new creation. So what does all this mean? Why does it matter? It means we can't be complacent with with where we are. We can't just say, well... I got faith. That's good enough. I'm in. We can't just sit in the same place. We can't just not grow. We can't stagnate in our faith. We can't exploit God's grace. Though our reward is secure by grace through faith in Christ alone, because we are new creations, as new creations, we must grow and be changed. For when we stop growing in, grace, in the grace and knowledge of God, it becomes easy to revert back to our old ways, easy to slip back into all the things that, that used to taunt us and, 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 and draw us away from God. It's easy to believe that we can do whatever we want when we stop growing in grace and knowledge of God. So it almost happens to Jack in the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, just in case you want to see it. Um, almost happens to Jack at the end of the movie. After helping Perry meet Lydia, Jack leaves his girlfriend, restarts his radio career, and he, and he gets his old life back, basically. He's a little softer around the edges now. His show isn't so shock jockish, but generally speaking, he's still the same guy. Disregards people around him. Doesn't really think about you know, their needs or, or, or things like that. In fact, he sees one of the homeless men that, uh, as he's going into work with his, with his manager, he sees uh, one of the homeless men that Perry had introduced him to, and, and, and the man screaming at him, Jack, Jack, and, and he sort of waves at, the, at one of the security guards, and the security guard comes over and whisks the guy away. And Jack just kind of stares at him like, eh. his manager says, do you know him? He's like, oh, and goes on his way. But eventually, Jack realizes that he's still miserable. He's got all the things that he ever wanted. He's got his life back. He's on top of the world. He's famous. He's rich. He's got a beautiful apartment, and yet he's got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Having experienced a new life, he's simply no longer content with the old things of this world. And he begins to see that he can never go back to being who he was before. Neither can we. The grace that that God has poured out upon us is so great, it's so awesome, we can't go back to being who we were before. We can't go back to the old ways of sin and self-justification. We can't go back to the old ways of selfishness and pride. We can't go back. 
We have to go forward. Because the cross draws us forward. It draws us to its feet. And it reminds us of all that Christ has done for us. The cross has erased our past. The cross has shaped our future. The cross has secured our reward. And not just so that we can be saved, but so that we might be different and make a difference in the lives of those around us. Will you pray with me, please? Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.